So we're going to talk about so we're doing a series on the Lord's Prayer. Um, quick question. For how many of you uh, grew up like Pastor Jim in a background where the Lord's Prayer was said like repeatedly in church services or in your family? Like that was a regular thing for you guys. Okay, some of you, some of you. How many of you had like little familiarity with the Lord's Prayer until recently? Anyone? Okay. So I grew up in a charismatic assemblies of God uh, kind of background. And so we didn't approach the Lord's Prayer uh, on the regular, I guess, like the Catholic Church did. And so it, it's funny, uh, you know, one of the things that Jim said, we're, we're trying to break it up so you, you hear from um, Johnny and Jim and I because uh, we all have very different backgrounds even when it comes to um, our church, uh, our church history and, and our relationship with the church. And so um, for Jim, who grew up Catholic, it was, you know, you say the Lord's Prayer as part of your penance, as part of um, this kind of religious routine that you can get into, and the Lord's Prayer loses its meaning. I, on the other hand, didn't really have a whole lot of exposure with the Lord's Prayer growing up. And so um, whenever I heard about other people doing it and hearing people quote it, like that, it's, it's one of those things for me that when I still hear it, I find beauty in it because it, I don't have kind of a religious, um, uh, legalistic, binding approach to the Lord's Prayer. I, I look at it and I think, man, what a wonderful doctrinal layout that Jesus gives us on how to pray and, and how beautiful um, and humbling it is to, to pray that. And so uh, it, it's one of those things with perspectives, like we've been giving you scriptures to pray out of uh, out of the Bible. We're going to continue to do that. And and we believe that it's, it's uh, powerful to pray scripture, right? Because this is the word of God. This is some of this is we're praying in authority that this is the thing that God has given us. But those prayers, praying that scripture is not one of those things like it should be religiously binding to you. Like if you don't pray this, then your prayers are invalid. That's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to lay out prayers to guide you on what God wants for you, what God has promised for you. And so um, the Lord's Prayer is kind of the, the same thing. And so, um, and so in thinking about prayer, I was also thinking about some of the most ridiculous things I've ever prayed. Have any of you ever prayed something where you said, you prayed it, and then afterwards you thought, and you're like, that was a stupid prayer, <laughs> right? Does anybody have an example that they want to share? Okay. I'll give you, I'll give you, so I'll give you a good example, okay? I'll give you a good example of a stupid prayer. Um, I remember when I, when I moved up to Dallas and I was in my, my ministry internship, um, I was, like, super fired up. So we had an hour of prayer every morning. We would go in, and, and it was funny because we had some people that, you know, when you pray for an hour, you have to, like, work yourself up to that because you don't necessarily know what to say to God or how to listen to God. And so we had people that, we had this one, my one buddy, Matt, that he would fall asleep all the time. So we'd find him in the back, and he'd, like, be in the corner. And we're like, Matt, Matt. He'd be like, oh, and then Jesus, uh, uh, I pray that, um, you know. So so I remember we were, we were in prayer, and there was one morning where I was just, like, super fired up. Like, I was like, oh, man, the spirit caught hold. And I was, I was just praying things, and I was thinking I was, like, going to conquer the world for Jesus. And I had this... Um, this approach, and I was like, God, I'll do anything for you. I'll give this up for you. I'll give that up for you. And I remember praying, and then I'm like, God, if you wanted to give me cancer just so you could heal me, I, I'd be down for that. And then I remember thinking, like, God was like, really? Like, really, is that what you want? Like, that's the kind of suffering you want to go through in life. And he's like, he's like, would you really? And I was like, eh, I, don't I don't know, maybe not, right? And I remember God, um, God convicting me in the spirit said, he's like, don't, um, don't pray don't pray things with your words where your heart's not ready to go. 
and I felt super convicted, but that was like, I look back and I'm like, God, that was the stupidest thing I could have ever said in my life when it comes to praying. Um, so we're talking about the Lord's Prayer, uh, and, and we went over um, the, the last few weeks, Jim did an intro, and then we talked about uh, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So um, we're going to review, so just as a review, so the first thing um, that we went over is, is faith. So faith is the most important element of prayer. And Hebrews 11:6 says, and without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Prayer in and of itself is an act of faith. If you come to God in prayer, it's because you have faith that God hears you, that God is listening, that God wants to um, work for you, that he wants to work on your behalf. So that in and of itself is a step of trust. It is a step of putting your faith in God when you pray. So faith is the most important element of prayer. It's where we start. Um, and the second is that Jesus teaches us that we can approach God as a father. So we talked about this two weeks ago. So it's our father, right? Uh, it's, it's intriguing that that's the first part of the Lord's Prayer, and we talked about this a little bit, but prior to Jesus illustrating this in the Lord's Prayer, the idea of God as Father was a foreign idea to the Jewish people. So God was a lot of things, right? Um, but God was always approached with this profound sense of reverence, which we should still have reverence for God. But Jesus comes and he makes God personal. He makes God a Father. The word he actually uses is Abba, right, which is the word that you would use, it's like the equivalent of dad. So father's like your formal, right? This is, you know, there's father, but he actually says, you know, God is our dad, right? We can go to him, we can trust him. Um, and so he redefines and makes God more personal to us when he says our father. So that's pretty significant. And then he says, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, right? And, and so we went over the definition of hallowed. Hallowed means to keep holy, uh, to honor, to revere. And so Jesus, us, Jesus teaches us to pray that God's name be kept holy in the context of our relationship with him. So we start with God is our Father, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. So he's basically saying, God, you're our Father. We want you to be glorified. We want to put your name first, okay? Um. And so the Lord's Prayer opens by recognizing God's character and authority. And so that's important to know because the Lord's Prayer can really be built into sections. In this first section, uh, if we're talking about the Lord's Prayer being a framework for how we should pray, okay, Jesus is saying, come to God and before anything else, recognize who God is and what God can do. God is a father who can be approached. He can hear your petitions. But not only that, God is um, all-powerful, all-knowing. He's faithful to his promises. He's jealous. Psalm 145 says that, that God is gracious. He is slow to anger. He is rich in love, and he is good to all, right? So the opening of this prayer as a framework is recognizing our ability to access God and God's ability to handle anything we throw at him and understand his character and his authority. 
And then after we go through those parts, then Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the first section of the Lord's Prayer is about God's character and authority. The second section is a transition into submission to God's desires. So, um, so we are recognizing who God is, what God is capable of, God's authority over us, and we're glorifying his name. And then after we do that, we are submitting ourselves to what God wants. So before Jesus ever lays out a petition on our behalf, before, um, before he asks for anything from God, before we get to uh, that kingdom come, that will be done, give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our trespasses. Before he's asking anything, he's recognizing who God is, and he is submitting himself to what God wants. And that's an important thing to recognize. When we submit to God, and, and this is the big prominent part of this section of the prayer is, we are submitting to what God, what God wants rather than bending his ear towards what we want. And that is not the common approach to prayer in general. Um, a lot of people, and it, I have a, a buddy at work, and we talk about faith and politics all the time, um, which is hilarious because we, we always talk about how, like, I'm really bad at small talk. I'm not good at it. And so people always talk about how you shouldn't talk about faith and politics, but I'm like, those are the things where you find out what people believe. That's what I want to talk about all the time. And so we, so we talk about these things all the time, but um, even his, his approach to prayer and what he believes about prayer is shaped commonly in what, what the world believes, and that, that is prayer is, is me trying to will something into existence according to, you know, the manner in which I pray or how much time I, sprint, I spend in prayer. Or, and, and prayer is not first and foremost about trying to bend God's ear or God's will to what your desires are. Prayer is about aligning your heart with what God wants first and foremost. Recognizing who God is and submitting to his will. Um, it's not that prayer doesn't work. People will be like, well, prayer doesn't work. I've prayed and then things didn't happen. No, that's not how prayer works. Um, it takes humility, right? God's not a genie. We don't rub on him and then things pop out. Um, Matthew twelve fifty says, for whoever does the will of my father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. And then Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. How many people have heard that scripture? He will give you the desires. Okay. That's a very popular scripture. But the, the biggest thing with that scripture, I think, is that people like to focus on one side of it, right? The emphasis that we always get to is, God will give me the desires of my heart. But there's a condition before that. What does the condition say? Delight yourself in the Lord. Say that again. Delight yourself in the Lord. Here's the thing about delighting yourself in the Lord is before God gives you the desires of your heart, you've delighted yourself in God. When you delight yourself in God, the desires of your heart change. 
Can I tell you right now that the things that I desire now as a 31-year-old Christian are different than the things I desired when I was a 20-year-old, thought I knew everything Christian? God changed me. He didn't, he changed my desires. It's not like my desires came to fruition, right? Um, If you pray for security, it's more likely that God is going to make you secure in your salvation, in your role in your family, in what you're pursuing at work, and what your passions are, and what the kingdom is about. It's more likely that God is going to change your heart around those things than it is that he's going to have you win the mega millions, right? Although that'd be, still be great. Like if somebody won the Wagon Millions, that's awesome, okay? But, um, but that scripture is about aligning yourself with God and then God changing your desires and delivering on those things. And so your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what does that mean to pray for God's kingdom to come? If we're, sub- if we're submitting to what God wants in this section of prayer, what does that mean? So we grow God's kingdom. That's first. Jesus says in John 3, in reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Seeing the kingdom of God and growing the kingdom of God, kingdom of God is all about seeing people come to know Christ. When we see people come to know Christ, we are advancing what God is about. We are seeing salvation take place, place in the lives of other people. Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain, to which Jesus had directed them. And when, he saw, when they saw him, he... They worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So we are sent to advance the kingdom. We spread the gospel and talk about the glory of God, and we bring people into the kingdom. And so what does the kingdom look like? Um, I, I'm always curious as to what, you know, we, we try to build the kingdom as much as we can on earth, right? That's what the prayer is. Let, let, let your kingdom be built on earth as it is in heaven. And I think that it's so uncanny because what the kingdom looks like is really shaped by your cultural perspective a lot of times um the kingdom looks very different to a lot of people now i think the one thing we can all agree on is that in the kingdom people know christ and they submit to the lord right but but i always um one of the things i always think about when i think about even the church right the capital c church not like life's journey church but um the church as a body of believers and, and we have different ideas of what that looks like. And I realize that with, um, so Bob Kelly, one of the missionaries we support, he speaks every now and again. But I remember at one point he asked, he goes, what language do you dream in? I was like, I dream in English. But he dream, Bob dreams in Spanish. Like, I never think about that, right? I never think about that. The people speak other languages and they dream. And I've been, I've been taking this class, this intercultural studies class for the past 
four weeks. And it's crazy the way cultural context and the way different cultures approach different things. But um, I think one of the, the biggest eye-opening things when it came to the kingdom of God that I ever saw was um, we were in Nicaragua helping out at Bob's school. And there was, um, there was a night where we decided we were going to play ultimate frisbee. And so we're on this basketball court, and um, Kim was there, Mikey was there. I remember it was great because Mikey, Mikey was just like, over here, over here, <laughs> over here. And I was, I was like, throw it to Mikey, throw it to Mikey. And so he, he would just like stand in the end zone, and it was great because you always knew that you could find Mikey right there. I'm like, throw it to Mikey. But we had, um, but it was, so it's pitch black, right? So the only light is from the moon and the stars. And so you can kind of see silhouettes. And we had, we brought glow sticks. Um, so we had, uh, was it blue, blue and red, I think, teams? I remember one was red because my dad was there, and he's just, rojo, 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 like over and over and over again. And we're like, Dad, what are you, like that's the only Spanish word my dad knows. My dad, my dad speaks Chinese and Dutch, but he does not know a lick of Spanish. And so, um, so he, uh, but I remember we're sitting there, and we have this glow-in-the-dark frisbee, and we're splitting teams. And I'm standing, you know, I tagged out, so I'm standing on the sideline, and I'm watching I'm watching people go back and forth, and you hear the kids yelling out in Spanish, and you hear um, some of our group yelling out in English, and people laughing, and you could just see the silhouettes and people falling over, and you just see these lights, and underneath this backlit, um, there are just this grove of trees, and the stars are out, and I remember thinking in that instant, this is what heaven's going to be like. Like, this might be the closest to heaven I ever get to see anything that, that, I don't necessarily understand everything they're saying, but I understand that we're all here together glorifying God in the way that we play together, in the way that we interact, and in the way we learn from one another. And that culturally is what the kingdom of God looks like. And the more and more I learn about these cultures um, and and the way other cultures approach God, uh, it's amazing to see even, even just in language, just in language barriers. Um, is how many of you are bilingual? One, Kim's bilingual. Okay, so there are. So like I said, my dad has spoken like three different languages throughout his life, and my sister and I are real bitter because he never taught us any of them. Um, but the more I learn from other people, and the more even I learn from from the class I'm taking is, um, there are words in English. Right. Well, let me rephrase. English, in a sense, is kind of a dumbed-down language. And what I mean by that is there are words in other languages that we can't express. So people that, that are trying to express themselves in a certain way, they can't in English because English doesn't encompass everything. Uh, so, so, for instance, in Hindi, right, which is the, the native language in India, um, there's a different word for every member of the family. So my dad's older brother... So it's not just aunt and uncle. My dad's older brother is one word. His younger brother is another word. His oldest brother is another word. His brother-in-law is another word. His step, so like, there's a different word that represents that role in the family in that language. And, and it's funny because sometimes in our culture, it's, there are some people who are very close-minded. They're like, just learn English. You just got to learn English. Like English is the dumb, which it is in the world. But I think sometimes we, we look at people that um, as a culture, and there are people in our culture that look at non-English speaking people and think they're dumb. 
And it's like, they're not dumb. Our language is just not necessarily as smart as what they're used to. And I think, man, what a cultural shift that is for us as Americans that, that we, you know, we, we can approach that from a certain cultural perspective, and it's wrong. And the kingdom of God has different cultural perspectives. There are people in, uh, Shane Claiborne is a, is a pastor and an, an author, and he writes this book. And he talks about how he was in Baghdad, in Iraq, and he's there with a bunch of Christians, and they're dancing around a fire, and they're celebrating and worshiping, and it's just very different from what he's used to, the way that they're going about it. And, and he's with his, his, uh, his host, who's an Iraqi there, and he tells his host, he goes, he's like, man, I didn't know you guys were Christians and you got down like this. Like, I didn't know this was a thing here. And his buddy looks at him, and he goes, you know, America didn't, he goes, he goes, yeah, it was born here. Like, you know that, right? Christianity, like, it started here. You know, and, he's, and he said, America didn't create Christianity. They just domesticated it. And I thought, what a convicting, convicting message. They didn't create Christianity. They just domesticated it. There are cultures that pursue Christ so much more avidly. And the kingdom looks so much differently than what we expect in other cultures. But isn't that the beautiful part about it? What an awesome way to look at the kingdom of God. We grow God's kingdom. We advance the gospel. We talk about the glory that is Jesus and how he saves. And then we let other cultures take that message and run with it in their own way so that they can celebrate it, so that they can worship, so that they can pray, so that they can honor it, so that they can demonstrate it in their culture. And it's awesome. And I think that's one of the most beautiful things about the kingdom of God. So we grow God's kingdom. Second is we demonstrate God's character. Your kingdom come, your will be done. What is the will of God? That is a great theological question that we could talk about for hours and hours and hours. But here's what I know about God's character and us demonstrating it. It is our job as individuals and as families to demonstrate the character of God. John 14, 23 says, Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Micah 6, 8. Um, and I have this highlighted, okay? If you're taking notes, highlight this. He has told you, O oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. All these scriptures, as we're going through it, we talk about praying scriptures. These are scriptures that you can pray, right? The entire Bible points towards who Jesus is, but if you're looking for the commandments of God, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor, there are a lot of pastors and a lot of theologians that would say this verse on top of that summarizes what the Bible is trying to get at, both Old and New Testament, which is to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. And so that's a powerful prayer right there. God, help me to love justice. Help me to do justice. Help me to love kindness. Help me to walk humbly with you. And then Matthew 25, verse 25, or 35 to 40 says, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. 
I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Truly I say to you, and this is later on, truly I say to you, as you did it for one of the least of these, my brothers, you did for me. And that's Jesus talking about what our role should be in the kingdom, to do these things. This is the will of God. The will of God the will of God and the kingdom of God doesn't start from the top down in our society. Many in our society, Christian or non-Christian, they approach what is moral and they ask themselves, what is, what is possible, what is legal, and then what can I do? Okay? God, rather than, rather than asking that from the top down from from a governing body down to us, what God says is this is who you as an individual should be. These are the things that you should demonstrate. And this is the way that you should dictate these things to your family. And from that, this is the way that you should love one another in the church. And from that, this is how you should love one another in the world. And so it doesn't start from the top down. It starts from the base up. And he gives us the foundation morally and ethically of how we're supposed to operate in certain things. It starts in our home. It starts at our table. It starts with our family. And so what he's doing here is he's saying, for those that are hungry, give them food. For those that need shelter, give them shelter. For those that need clothes, clothe them, right? There's no, there's no conditions on this, right? The scripture earlier about the desires of your heart, there's a condition there. The condition is delight yourself in the Lord. This is a command from Jesus. This is what he's saying to do. There's no conditions here. He's not putting a condition on it to say, only do it for the people you like, or only do it for Christians, or only do it for people before this age, or only do it. He doesn't give us conditions. He says, I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. For if you do this for the least of these, you do it for me. And who is the least of these, right? The question, who is the least of these? That's like when, when the Pharisee comes and he says, well, who's my neighbor? And then Jesus goes into the whole parable of um, the Good Samaritan. And, and I love, I, I saw some people discussing um, racism online at one point. Side note, I got off Facebook for like two weeks. It was super healthy. Some, some of y'all should consider that. Um, but, but I saw this discussion on Facebook and, and some and we were talking about racism. These people were talking about racism. And um, somebody's like, well, I hope we never talk about racism at church. I would leave the church if we ever approached it this way and yada, yada, yada. And um, give me one example in the Bible where it talks about racism. And, um, and Kim actually, she said, I thought it was so insightful. But she said, the parable of the Good Samaritan is totally hinged on the fact that the Samaritan was a Samaritan. Here's somebody that's from another religious group, from another culture, right? And they still cared for the person that was hurting, even though they didn't have to. And so it absolutely paints a picture of the people that you are at war with. The Samaritans and the Jews were literally there all the time. And so the people that, we are, that are literally, not just figuratively, literally your enemy, care for them. And that's probably one of the most convicting things. Um, it's, 
you know, Jim and I talked about even before we started this series that I would that I would preach this week, and um, and it's tough. I can't think of a more a timely message. Um, in our church, I know politically we go from one end of the scale to the other when it comes to people, but but one of the things that happened this last week with um, with this whole travel ban thing, and and I I know there are people that they're like got to keep terrorists out. We want to keep our family safe. I get it. I get it. I got a son now. I got to think about him, and I, I approach things differently. I got a kid. I have a wife. But um, but I also know that that I've seen pictures of little Syrian kids face down in the beach sand because they drowned, because they're trying to escape, to get to someplace safe. And that could have been my kid. I've seen kids that have been bombed out by fighter jets that were just trying to take shelter in their home, and that could have been my kid. And there are people, the vast majority, that want no harm done. They just want a chance for their kids to eat and to grow up and not have to worry about being bombed. And, um, and we as Christians... We as Christians are called to feed and shelter and clothe people. And that's not easy. And it's not, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and say, like, this is an easy decision. Let's go find people on Craigslist and bring them into our house. It's not what I'm saying, okay? But what I am saying is that if you don't have at least a little bit of a conviction about how you approach people that want a better life, whether you agree with them or not, the test of how you love someone is not how you love somebody that agrees with you, but how you love somebody who doesn't. And if we don't at least feel that conviction a little bit, then I would say you really need to spend some time with God and search your heart because there are people that need help and our duty is to help them, not as Americans, but as Christians. Um, there's a picture of a bear talking about loving people i think this is one of the, the greatest things so this is a thready okay um so we have some friends that they own a shop in downtown mckinney that it's all about fair trade but they also started another business called threadies and, and what this bear does and what this bear represents is they said how can we how many of you own a pair of tom's shoes right tom's one for one so what tom's does is you buy a pair of tom's and they um for every pair that they they sell, they take a pair, and they give it to um, people in less fortunate nations, to the kids. Because one of the, the biggest things that kids uh, struggle with from a health standpoint is they get hookworm in their foot because they don't have shoes, and then it causes all kinds of health problems. And so they said, we want to give just some great, sustainable shoes to kids, and that's how they started. So they started this whole one-for-one -one business concept, and there are other businesses that have kind of picked up because of this. So Threadies is one of those businesses. And so what happens is if you buy a Threadie, um, these threadies are sewn by refugee women, and it gives them a chance to make money so that they can help their family. So they sew these threadies over, uh, I think it's over in Jordan is where they're, where they're sewing them. So they put them, put them together, but then for every threadie that is sold, a threadie goes to a kid in a refugee camp. And not only that, but it comes with a whole booklet because there are nonprofit organizations over there that are helping these kids cope. And a lot of these kids, they've had to leave behind all their belongings. They don't have anything, right? So they get a bear that they get to call their own. 
and then the counselors get to use the bear just like you would a trauma doll to talk about the trauma the kid's been through, and it helps with the counseling and stuff. And so this is a business, but I also look at it and I think, what a great way to love people. You've given jobs to women who need jobs, and you've given bears to kids who need to cope with tragedy. There's an organization called Preemptive Love that they're over in Iraq right now. And it's crazy because they'll, they'll send out tweets. They're like, we are literally hiding in sand right now, and ISIS is going by us. And they've posted videos of these towns that have been um, where people have come in, and they've been freed from ISIS's hold. And it's all these Iraqi guys standing around a fire dancing together with their arms around each other because they're just so excited to be free. And some of them are Christians and some of them are Muslims. They're just excited to be free. But this organization is literally on the front lines trying to love these people. That is doing the will of God. We talk about getting the will of God done on earth as it is in heaven. That's doing the will of God on earth as it is in heaven. I woke up this morning. It's funny because I was, was talking to Selena this morning. And I was working on this message. And my buddy, Aaron Alexander, had posted, um, he shared a story on Twitter. But it was this guy, uh, I guess yesterday. And he said, I got on the subway in Manhattan tonight and found a swastika on every advertisement in every window. The train was silent as everyone kind of stared at each other, uncomfortable and unsure what to do. One guy got up and said, hand sanitizer gets, gets rid of Sharpie. We need alcohol. So he found some tissues and got to work. I've never seen so many people simultaneously reach into their bags and pockets looking for tissues and Purell. Within about two minutes, all the Nazi symbolism was gone. So this is in New York, Nazi symbolism and things like that written all over a train. And, and I love that he's just stood up, and they posted pictures, and there's people just wiping stuff down. Those people on the train don't know each other, but that's what the will of God is, is to do justice and, and do what is right, to clean all that off. I can tell you guys right now, and this is probably way too political than you're ever used to in church, or maybe you should be, but there is a day coming when doing what is right and doing what is legal are going to contradict each other. Do what is right according to the gospel. Do what is right. So we grow God's kingdom, we demonstrate God's character, and we point to God's promises. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Romans 8.28, and we know that for, the, for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. The kingdom of God offers hope to us. We know that a day is coming when things will be set right. We know, I know as a Christian, I believe that the day is coming when things are going to be set right. One of my favorite doctrines, my favorite sayings, is already but not yet. Katie and I, she comes and says it all the time. Already but not yet. I love it. What it means is we have already received our salvation in Christ. Christ died for us. I've accepted him. I know that I'm a Christian, that I am saved. But the fullness of that salvation, the fullness of my redemption, the fullness of what it means to be perfected in Christ hasn't come yet. That day is coming where everything in the world that has been fractured by sin, that has been broken, is coming. 
And so the saying, already but not yet, means that. I am already saved, but not yet. I haven't seen the fullness of his glory. But that day's coming. That day's coming. Already, but not yet. When we pray, we can pray God's promises in faith, knowing that they're coming. When, we, when, when, when bad times happen, we can pray and say, God, I don't get it. This sucks. But I know that you work all things for the good of those who love you. And God, I love you. So I'm trusting that you're going to work this for my good. I love in, I love in Psalms, Psalm 73 is one of my favorite. Whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth there is none I desire but you that my heart and my flesh may fail. But God, you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I pray that all the time. I think, and then, and then the other prayer that I think is one of the most powerful things, and I pray this all the time too, as a person who is skeptical and as a person who has doubt about a lot of things, is the scripture where the man brings his son to Jesus and, and he says, Jesus, I, I need my son to be healed. And Jesus says, if you believe, he'll be healed. And the man says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And then Jesus goes on to heal him. If that's not the most beautiful picture of our God, then I say, God, God, I believe, but God, I want to believe more because I don't believe enough. God, I believe, but help my unbelief that even where I'm struggling, God, I need you. And God says, I accept that. That even with the doubt, God accepts it. I pray that all the time. I'm like, God, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Help me know. And then lastly, our prayers are personal, but they also encompass community. There's a difference between personal and private, right? People always say, well, that's personal. That's fine. There are things that are personal. That doesn't mean they have to be private. My faith is very personal. It's not private. And, and you notice the Lord's Prayer is, when Jesus prays it, he doesn't say, my God, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give me today my daily bread. Forgive me my trespasses. No, forgive us our trespasses. Give us this day our daily bread as we forgive our debtors. If the two greatest commandments are to love God and love your neighbor, Jesus demonstrates that in this prayer. He honors God first, and then the entire prayer is in the context of him and others. It is communal. We as a church are meant to be communal. Yes, we've talked about scriptures where it says, you know, you're not supposed to go praying in public because the heart of that is if you're trying to put on a show, that's not what God wants. But that doesn't mean that you don't pray out in public or you don't pray for one another or you don't lift one another up. It just means your motive in doing that needs to be communal in loving your brother or sister in Christ. That's what it means. Johnny and I have a friend named Anna. Anna works uh, at a church down in Dallas. We met her a long time ago when we were in a master's commission. And um, <clears throat> she posted this online a few weeks ago, and it was probably one of the most convicting things that I've read because I realized that I probably walked, wouldn't have walked the way that, that she walked. But she said, on my way to work, I was stuck in traffic, shocker, 
and I noticed a bumper sticker on the car a few, a few lanes away. It said something about being a pagan and making fun of Christianity. Usually I'll roll my eyes at things like that, but when I saw this, my heart was completely overwhelmed with compassion and love for this driver. Tears now streaming down my face. I started praying that the Lord would encounter him today, and then it hit me. Why was I praying for someone to talk to him when I was right there? And she said, please know this is way out of character for me. She said, I maneuvered my way until I was next to him. I rolled down my window and waved at him. When his window was down, I said, I just want you to know how much Jesus loves you. His response was, F you, lady. But before he could put his window up, I told him, I know that life has disappointed you, that people have let you down, that the people who are supposed to love you the most turn their backs on you, but God loves you beyond comprehension. He has never left your side, not once. He has always been fearlessly pursuing you because he sees, you, he sees your beautiful heart for broken people. You are the most valuable and precious thing in the world to him. I work at a church called The Upper Room. If you ever need a family of people who love unconditionally, come over. She says, at this point, he was crying and cars were honking at us to go, but I didn't care. People need to be shown love. What would happen if we stopped praying for God to send others when we saw a broken person and instead we loved them ourselves? I am beyond wrecked by God's love for us this morning and his goodness. Luke 10, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven starts with us. It's a prayer about submitting to what God wants in this world. And I can't speak to what is going to happen culturally. I can't speak to, but what I know is in my house, with my son and my wife, I get to set the example. And we get to talk about this is what I feel like God is telling us to do. To show mercy, to do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with your God. And to pray that and say, God, help me submit to your kingdom. Help me to do your will. Help me to walk in justice. Help me to love kindness. God, help me to love mercy. God, just help me to love my neighbor. God, help me to lay hands on people who need hands laid on them. God, help me to clothe people who need clothes. God, help me just to feed the hungry and give water to the thirsty. God, help me to open my home. God, help me not to be overcome by fear, but to walk out in boldness and know that you care for me. And God, even when things are difficult or even when I disagree with people or even when people challenge my opinions, God, I pray that I would walk in humility and show love. God, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, your will be done in my home. Your will be done in my family. Your will be done in my church. Your will be done. And so, in your outline, there's three areas, and, and, and this is... This is where your faith is personal. It says, I need to submit blank. I need to pray for blank every time I pray, and I need to remind myself that God promised blank. And here's what I want you to do. Johnny asked this question this morning. I thought it was so, so relevant. We were setting up, and he said, 
He said, you know, when was the last time that God really challenged you or you really had an attitude challenge that you realized you've just accepted it, but it's kind of wrong in your life? Um, I, I told Johnny a couple weeks ago, I've really struggled with bitterness about the church, not our church. I love our church, but just like there are certain Christian leaders that I have vast disagreements with on on how they operate, and I've, I've realized that that the church is kind of split. It's becoming more and more split, and 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 there's bitterness that I'm not I'm not helping the situation. And my bitterness doesn't help fuel anything. So I told Johnny, I was like, that's one of my attitudes that I have to be challenged on. But where do you? need to submit where is there an area of life that you have a blind spot and you haven't realized and how do you pray that so i need to submit blank who do you need to pray for every time you pray who do you need to pray for is it muslims is it the president is it your literal neighbor is it your boss i don't know is it, your, is it your homosexual aunt? I don't know. I need you to remind myself that God promised blank. Where do you find yourself doubting God or being frustrated with God and forgetting his promise? And we need to remember that promise. That it's easier to submit to him in prayer when we remember what he promised us. Father, I just thank you for this morning, and I thank you for our church, and I thank you for your word, God. God, you make this personal. That we can come to you, and we can look at you as a father. We can know that you have our back, and we can know that you are working things for our good, and God, I pray that your name be glorified, God. I pray that I would make your name great, that I wouldn't do wrong by you, that I wouldn't shame you, but God, that I would be a great example for, for your character. I pray that, that we would set the example of your character, and God, that we would just, in everything we set our hands to, we would bring glory to you. And God, I pray that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. I pray that we would step out of our comfort zones and that we would be convicted and that we would just, God, that we would just do the hard things. I pray that we would do the hard things. And we would do them knowing that the day is coming where everything's going to be set right. But until then, we want to set as much of it right as possible, God. We want to lay our hands on it. I pray that you would just help us this morning, that you would uh, open our eyes, that you would show us what needs to happen. And God, we love you and we glorify your name. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.